I'd like to read one verse tonight that's found in First Timothy. First, or I'm sorry, Second Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter one and verse twelve. Second Timothy one and verse twelve. Second Timothy one and verse twelve. It's going to be towards the latter latter end of your Bible or the right side, as we say. Second Timothy 1 and verse 12. Now this is the man that we refer to as the Apostle Paul, St. Paul. This is him speaking here. This is what he says. He says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. He was talking about life in general. He goes, I, I've, I've suffered many things. But then he follows that up with this statement. And he says, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed. He's speaking about his life. That which I have committed unto him against that day. We'll read those words once more. This is Paul speaking. He says, I, right here he says, uh, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know that God will add a blessing to the reading of his word. When you think of life sometimes, some of us are young, some of us are older, but when you, uh, you know, sometimes it, it happens to be uh, you want to get to bed at night, like I often do, you get home from these meetings and you're exhausted, the heat has taken everything out of you, and instead of kind of sometimes being able to get to bed at night, you think of every mistake you've made in the past 10 years for the next two hours, right? And that's unfortunate. But sometimes at night as you're laying awake, you know, uh, it can be the opposite of that. And you often consider what makes life life? Well, what gives meaning and significance to, to me and to you? And, uh, you know, as thoughts roll through your head, I, I think that's every man's portion is to consider moments in my life and to consider possessions in my life. And you would say significance and and you would add importance, and you would say the dignity that I have, and, and, and thoughts would roll over to even decades past. You might go towards children that you have, maybe grandchildren. I think there's a number of ways in which to do that, and you, you think of things that you could not do without. I don't know if you've ever reached this point. I have. Have you ever come to a point where you would say, if I didn't have that, if I did not have this, what would be the point of being alive? You ever said that about anything? You ever said that about anything? Have you ever said that about anyone? Have you ever had a moment in your life where you thought, to be honest, without that, what would be the point? The same man who said these words, one time he said it very simply, and he said this, For me, life is the Lord Jesus Christ. For me, life is Christ. I get bombarded with a lot of religions and a lot of religious individuals throughout my weeks and throughout my months. And one of the first questions I always ask people is, What is your life? In fact, I even ask them this. I ask, I ask people who come to my door who claim to be Christians, I say to them, Do you love Jesus Christ? You say, that's an odd question to ask. Let me ask you, do you? Would 
without doubt I do because he took my place at Calvary. He died for me. He died in my place. And Paul says here, I know, and I just want to talk about these words that he says, but, but he talks about a person tonight. And so that's what I'd like to just get across in these next 15 or 20 minutes. The fact that he's talking about a person. He says here, he says, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. Uh, this might come as a surprise to you, but sometimes, uh, sometimes there's embarrassment in this, right? We have to hand out invitations sometimes. during. We used to hand out calendars, right, from our church. And I always had to do the street where I knew the rest of the basketball team lived somehow. I don't know if the men purposed it that way, right? You know, and they said, Dave, you're going to... And I remember, like, they'd be there and I'd, I'd, I'd be wearing something maybe similar to this. Or, you know, I'd try to look a little less casual. And, and you'd say, I was kind of embarrassed a little bit, you know? I was embarrassed to be in Boy Scouts too, but, but that was a different story, right? But you say, there, there's somehow there's shame involved in things. And, and sometimes you might say about these things, you say, Dave, I don't know if I could ever have that because there's a certain amount of embarrassment or shame involved in and just what if I were to go home and tell people I knew or, or to tell family members that I was saved and I was on my way to heaven because of Jesus Christ. Paul says here, you want to know what's shameful? The way we've trivialized God. We've, we've pretty much demoted Him to lighting candles and saying prayers and cathedrals and pilgrimages. What a shame. There's no shame in the gospel because you know what? There's a thousand and one places in this world that'll put a new jacket on the man, but there's only one person who puts a new man in the jacket. That's Jesus Christ. So when it comes time to shame, and when we think about religious things, and we think of all the embarrassing things that we have done in order to say to God, thanks, this is not one of them. Steeples will one day fall. Candles will burn out. The silver and gold and the bricks that you've bought in front of your church one day will corrupt. You know what will never change? The great fact that Jesus Christ died for me. It will never change. It will always be exalted. Heaven has one trophy case. And that trophy, if it has an inscription on it, says this. The Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. One trophy. That's it. And so when it comes time, and Paul says, I am not ashamed. I remember, I remember. I think it was a friend of mine, he told me, he, he, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. He knew he was going to heaven. And he said when he told his mom, his mom said to him, you've been brainwashed. And he said, I don't know if he had heard it before, that term or not, we use it flippantly now. He said, yeah, you know what, I have. I have. Thank God. Thank God. If you knew it was in my brain, you'd power wash it too. You said, thank God I've been brainwashed. You say, sometimes we use that term like, Dave, you just don't understand reality. You might say to me, you, you, maybe Dave, you haven't seen yet. I've seen it. Believe me. I've seen all that it has to offer. Poke holes in this. There's a thousand and one religions you can poke holes in pretty easy, right? If, you're, if your faith depends on you getting on your knees and crawling somewhere, crawling upstairs. Or cr if your faith depends on what you've told some man lately, your faith ain't worth a nickel. This verse tells me that your faith can be in one man who hung the world on nothing and then hung on a cross. That's something to be awfully proud of. Not ashamed. And Paul says, I am not ashamed. He goes, because I know. I know. If I were to talk to you tonight about feelings, and sometimes I'm almost, I'm almost fearful of that. Maybe I should just, you know, you sometimes say, we like to be dynamic here. We don't like to leave people, don't put people to sleep, right? Because then I have to wake you up. 
But you say, you know what, like sometimes people leave with this an emotional euphoria. This, this idea that if we could build up certain sense of, uh, of uh, you know, even, even a, a mourning or, or an emotional capacity, that that would change me. I remember a friend of mine, I, I think he's still alive, maybe he's not, but I used to meet him down at 7-Eleven in Midland Park. And I would say, I addressed him by name, I said, did you go to church this week? Dave, he said, I stopped going to the Mass a year ago. I said, why is that? He said, they don't do it in Latin anymore. I said, oh, you speak Latin? He goes, no, no, but, but I, don't, I don't like it in English. I said, you don't understand it, and you don't go. And you would go, you, know, you don't go because you would understand it, but you did go because you didn't understand it. He said, it's not about, Dave, what you hear, it's how you feel. I said, no, you've got it all wrong. I said, you know, feelings change Monday to Friday. Facts don't. Facts don't. You say, Paul says here, I know whom I have believed. He says, I know. And when I come to my Bible, and you say to me, Dave, it's a pompous, it's presumptuous, it's obnoxious to say you know your sins are forgiven. God has said it. Who's the obnoxious one? God has said, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Your sins I have separated as far as the east is from the west. Don't call me obnoxious. Call the author of the words. God has said, I know. You say, I know today. We often would almost religiously just be slightly reserved from using that word, I know. If you've ever been to a funeral, what is the greatest text ever said at a funeral? John 14, right? You go to any funeral, a man gets up and he says, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. For were not so, I would have told you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, right? That where I am, you may be also. And we say, amen. And then you ask someone, where's the man in that casket? Next time you go, don't do it. It it probably is tactless. The next time, just think about these words. Everyone would say amen to that. Then say this. Where's the guy? Where's the guy in the casket? Where is he? We don't know. How is that possible when the next verse says, Thomas says unto him, how can we know the way to heaven? What does Jesus say? I'm the way. I'm the way. So why is it that we all thundering say amen to the Father's house and the many mansions Then it comes time to say, is he in that mansion? We say, we don't know. Listen, it's just hypocrisy. If you're going to believe the first part of John 14, believe verse 6. Jesus is the way. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And so Paul says here, I know. I know whom I have believed. And and he he makes that distinction right there. And, And as if it couldn't be any more clear. Because even today... Salvation seems to be a, it seems to be a mixture of, of so many what's. And you say, if we could only just get back to that fact that salvation is not a what, but it's a who. So salvation was never a what. Salvation could never be a what. You'd say, it, we, 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 we almost take it that it has to be a process. That, that if you come out to the meeting tonight and you come out tomorrow night and, and you say eventually we would reveal the secret to you and give you the 10 step process to heaven and you say no it's not a process it's a person it's a person and, and, and the methods you say there's got to be methods that, that, that you're going to employ and methods that you're going to turn to an obscure part of the Bible and let me know it's not a method it's a man 
Because Paul says, I know whom I have believed. I know the person and the salvation because salvation, if you believe in it, and if I'm addressing someone who believes in a heaven above and a hell below, and we know tonight that there are people in heaven above and there are people in hell below, and you say, if, if, if you have believed that much, if you believe that, that this is the Word of God, and you believe that it does not change, there's only so many things I, I'm going to ask you. If, if, that is a, if you could check those boxes tonight, then I ask you this, if that's true, why is it that in so many of our, our religious circles, when you ask about salvation, it has to do with a what? You ask some men, tell me, how do I get to paradise? And for ten minutes, they'll go on about what? And rarely do they ever get to who? I remember a friend telling me that someone told him once, pastors, when they run out of things to say, when they run out of things to say, they will start to talk about Calvary. Listen, my friends. That's the only thing I want to talk to you about tonight. And I hope we never run out of time or effort or ability to speak about it. But my friend, the, the Bible is just one long introduction to Calvary. It tells me there at six hours on a Friday afternoon there was a man who died for your sins and salvation is not in a what, it's in a who. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He is able to keep. A lot of times I, I, I would take it, and I've met people and they say, they, salvation could not be something that you could have because what about if you did something to lose it? You know, we often say, if, if I confess my sins on Friday last week, I'm going to have to do it next Friday. And you'd say, if, if, if I lived an outstanding life for 30 years, it would still depend on the next 30 years in order for me to give a comprehensive package to God and say, accept me because of this. God accepts me because I'm a sinner saved by grace and nothing else. And so when I think about this and people tell me, it's not something that you could possess now, I do because of this simple fact, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Christ. It has nothing to do with what I've done. And you say, He can secure that. He has saved me. I have not saved myself. If I saved myself, I guarantee you I'd lose it. But God has saved me. You say, how? Because I believe what He said. I'm not ashamed to tell you tonight that my salvation... That my passport to heaven simply depends on this. That the Bible has told me two great indisputable facts. That I am guilty and that Christ Jesus came into the world to save guilty people. Undeniable. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. I used to hide all my belongings or my, my money underneath my parents' mattress. It was a safe spot. They rarely cleaned their sheets. I remember I had a I remember I had a money box and it was from Toys R Us in Midland Park. It's not there anymore. Toys R Us, it used to be right there next to the deli, and I remember getting it was a red box. Andrew had the same one, and we used to keep our cash then in there. And I, I still can remember. I still can remember my father showing me one day. He's like, watch this. And he just twisted it. And it opened up. And he said, even if I couldn't open it up, he goes, I could just walk away with it. The thing weighs like one pound. 
Who are you trusting? Who are you trusting your life with? Who are you trusting your life with? I mean, it's a question that deserves an answer tonight. I, I, I just, I'd like to you to answer it because Paul answers it. And the Bible asks that we answers it. Who are you trusting your life with tonight? Sometimes we, we make exceptions. I think I said this the other night. You, you, you would be hard-pressed to trust anything that you have with people who have no qualifications. And yet we've trusted our eternities with a maybe, I hope so, with a possibility. The Bible comes loud and clear and says, I know exactly whom I have believed. I believe the God of heaven. When He has said that He gave His Son for me at Calvary, and I have entrusted to Him everything. You said, Dave, never put all your marbles in one basket. If I had the chance to do it ten more times, I'd do it ten more times. I know whom I have believed. The Lord Jesus Christ said this. He says, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. No man shall pluck them out of my hand. My Father which has given them to me is greater than I, and no man shall pluck them out of His hand. I and my Father are one. You know what that is? That's, that's divinity times two in which my life is placed. Tell me, what do you have that's better than that? I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded beyond, beyond any shadow of a doubt. Why? Because it has nothing to do with me. My faith is 100% because it rests in the 100% Word of God and it rests in the 100% work of Christ. And even a million years into eternity, I will still be able to say those words. I know whom I have believed. I'm believing in the man who built eternity. I'm believing in the man who built the mansion. I'm believing in the man who hung on the cross. I'm not believing in some doctrine. I'm not believing in some catechism. I'm not believing in the words of man. I'm believing in the words of God, which it tells me in the Bible that after creation is folded up like a t-shirt or a pair of pants, it tells me this, that the Word of God will still outlast that and will endure for all eternity. And so I ask you tonight, whom are you believing in? Some people here tonight know this is true. Some people know here tonight, you'd say, Dave, what you're saying is true. And what you're saying would forgive my sins that Christ died for me. What you're saying, Dave, I have no arguments with. But, you just take whatever ended up on that other side of but and tell me after a million years of eternity without Christ if it will be worth it. If it will be worth it. What shall it profit a man if he gains everything and loses his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? I invite you tonight to embrace the God of heaven who gave his son for your soul. And you no longer have to ask what you would give for your soul because your soul is of infinite worth because God gave everything for your soul when he gave his son. And you could go home with the same words of the Apostle Paul. And you could say this, my life would be meaningless if it were not for the fact that Christ Jesus came into the world to save me. And you could say, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that He is able to keep my life forever. Because He is not only the author of my salvation, He is the author of eternity. I invite you to trust Jesus Christ tonight, because He is the only one who has died for your sins, and He is the way to heaven. 
Salvation is not through a what? Salvation is through a who? Salvation is through none other than God's beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You could trust Him tonight. And I guarantee you this. You will never be ashamed for doing so. I guarantee you it. And I guarantee you 60 other people in this tent would guarantee you that. You will not be ashamed. You will never regret putting your life into the hands of the one who spread his hands at Calvary and died for your sinful soul in order to forgive you and bring you to heaven. Good to see everyone that's out tonight. And thanks for coming. Uh, I'd like to read a verse, a couple verses, three places. Uh, And the first one is in the book of Mark. So we look at our New Testament. And there's that first book, Matthew. And the second one would be Mark in chapter 1. Mark in chapter 1 and verse 15. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ, one that uh, we're going to speak about every night this week. And he says these words and saying in verse 15, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now let's look together at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. Second Corinthians, and the chapter we're reading is 4. And we're going to drop down in that chapter to verse 5. And the Word of God says this, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. That's all I want to read in that verse. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Last reading is in the book of Acts, please. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, and chapter 16. Acts and chapter 16. And let's start reading here uh, at verse 14. Here are results of hearing the gospel. Verse 14 of Acts 16. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, and of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us whose heart the Lord opened. Now it's important to hear those words. Whose heart the Lord opened. A man didn't open it, the Lord opened. That she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Now this girl Lydia get saved. Now let's look at verse 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So here's a, a woman who's possessed. The same followed Paul and us and cried saying these men are the servants of the most high God which show us or show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days but Paul being grieved turned and said to the spirit I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ 
to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. We see another person transformed by the gospel. Now let's drop down in the chapter, chapter 16, and let's look at verse 22. Acts 16, verse 22. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I wonder as we read those words, if there's someone in the audience tonight, you're asking the question, What must I do to be saved? Listen. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Uh, If they answered the question and said, Believe on the church or your own works, we wouldn't have a message tonight. We'd have nothing. But here it is. It's a point to Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when they had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. That's all we're going to read. And I know that was perhaps a little more reading than uh, I'm even used to, but I trust that it could be a help tonight as we seek to speak from the gospel. I love the word that we read together because in Mark chapter 1, it's not man's words words here being said, but it's Christ. And Christ is saying, repent ye and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. The world today, friend, needs to repent and, and believe the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son into this world. How Christ came into the world separate from sin. How Christ came into the world as a sinless being. How Christ came into the world and Mary as she watched Christ, she marveled at the things that she observed. How Christ came into the world and at, as He went to the place called Calvary, He was not only now Mary's Son, but now He's Mary's Savior. The gospel of Jesus Christ. How Christ died upon a rugged cross. He was buried and He rose again the third day. And God offers free salvation to anyone that comes. Anyone. It's a free gift. You know, today at, uh, at, our, at our home, I was playing uh, ping pong at our home. Dave, so we're playing ping pong with Michael and uh, I saw uh, Joy pull up with the truck and she brought food. Uh, it was such a blessing because in that particular home, we're eating Luigi's, uh, was it ice cream? One of the, something like that, right? So lemonade and frozen ice and Italian ice. And it's like Dave's favorite, right? So we eat this stuff. And she brought all this beautiful food and it was like sitting at some king's buffet and we ate there. Hey, listen, I didn't pay for that. She paid for that. 
That's a free gift. It would have been amazing if she walked up the stairs with her hands full. And <laughs> shame to me, I didn't even help, but she walked up the stairs. But it would have been a, a just tremendous loss if I would have looked at the food and said, ah, we don't need it. We're just stuck on these Italian ices. <laughs> it's going to sustain us today. It's going to keep us going. What about dying on Italian ices? No, we needed that. Listen, friend, God offers a gift of eternal life. Eternal life. Not a gift of money. Not a gift of a home on a, on a hilltop. Not a gift of the Lamborghini that I just talked about the other night that was at my gym and the guy said, that was just a gift. No, none of those things. Those things don't trump God's gift. God gives His Son. And God gave His Son as a gift to the world to be the substitute for your sins, to pay for your sins. Not only to pay for your sins, to help you overcome the power of your sin. The sinner that trusts Christ no longer has the power of sin over him or her. And God's promised that. Christ overcame that at the cross. He didn't overcome it and die and he's buried. Friend, listen, we don't speak about a dead Savior tonight. The beauty of the gospel is that he is alive. You know, one of the most powerful messages that was ever heard by a friend of mine who preaches the gospel up in Montana, he said these words. He said, Matt, I I sat there one time and I was going to share a gospel meeting uh, with with a particular man. And the man got up, he was an older gentleman, uh, and he was very gifted in the gospel, but he got up and he said these words and he sat down. He didn't even read. He just said this, Jesus is alive. And he said it three times and raised his voice each time and then he sat down. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus is alive. And you and I are accountable to the God of heaven. We're accountable with what we do with Christ. He gave His Son. And you and I can have His Son. You know, I read those words in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read them to you because there's a point here. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. I took a young man, uh, one one of Harrison's little sons, Jack. It's interesting if you're a parent today and uh, your kids say, uh, can so-and-so come over? He's a good friend. And um, But it's interesting, when they come over for the first time, you start to see how this kid is. And then uh, when they leave, my, my son Harrison said, wow, never again. He's, he's, it's, it's too much. Okay? And, uh, but Jack came over, and I thought, well, I'll be even generous. He won't just come over. I'll have him stay Saturday. And I want him to come to meeting on Sunday to church. And so he came. And he said, well, I'm used to going to a big church, he said. I said, oh, that's good. Like, you know, so he came to ours. Ours is small. And uh, when he got in the backseat, he was really quiet. And I said to Jack, I said, so what do you think? And he said this, boy, I was bored to death. I said, what do you mean, bored to death? He's nine. Like, what? I mean, you know, how has he compared different churches? Like, how long has his experience been where he's comparing? And he said, um, I said, Jack, what was the thing? He was... Uh, Mr. Matt, he calls me, uh, I was not entertained. That's what he told me. Listen, we are not here, we're not, to entertain by a long shot. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. Christ, friend, is not an entertainment. The cross of Christ is not an entertainment. It's not some drama skit. It's not some emotional roller coaster. Christ died on a Roman violent cross. And he was covered in spittle. And he was covered in blood. And there was a crown of thorns that had beaten into his brow. His face unrecognizable as a man. They plucked the beard out of his face. That's a gruesome scene. There's no entertainment there. And the truth of it should touch your heart because he died for you. That's what he did for you. It's actually a struggle to preach the gospel. I'll tell you why. Because words 
whether we calculated and we grabbed every word in the dictionary and across the world to describe what happened at the cross, we'd fail. We'd fail. If we were trying to describe Christ's work, we'd fail. If we were trying to describe describe Christ's work at the cross, we would fail miserably. Miserably. That's God's elect. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be made equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Can you even imagine, imagine one leaving heaven and coming to this filthy earth and going to a cross and dying for sinners and saying at the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the Christ that I'm talking about. And he's an absolute beautiful person. He won my heart. He died to set me free. And He gave me life. And He's given others in this particular audience life. And He can give you life today. Eternal life. Life that you'll never question. Life that you'll never go back and look back at that situation where you came to trust Christ and you say, Man, I have so many regrets. Never. That's what Brother Day was trying to say. Never. The day that I trusted Christ, and I've had great days in my life. And I might even tell my story this upcoming Sunday, but I'll let you know tomorrow. But uh, the day that I came to trust Christ is the best day. Mark my words. I've had good days. I've had a father buy me a car. That was a good day. I've had, uh, my son was born. That was a beautiful day. I met my best friend, Allison. I married her. Uh, That was a great day. Good days. But the best day in my life was the day I trusted Christ. The second best day of my life is when my son professed to trust Christ. Number two. The third best day of my life is when my little daughter professed to trust Christ. Number three. See what's happening? The things of the world mean nothing. It's what Christ matters. That's what matters. Is if someone comes to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you watch that person from darkness step into light and they're different. Everything they think about is different. Now this man here, let's jump right into this story. Because this man here in Acts chapter 16, he's come uh, to have a difference in his life. But notice uh, what we see here uh, in this particular story. So we see the multitude rose up together against them. This jailer has a situation in his life. If a prisoner escapes the prison, his life is taken. So really in this situation, as you can tell, God has shaken the foundations. He thinks prisoners are going to escape, and his life is at danger. I'll tell you, friend, carefully and gently and filled with love, your life is in danger. It's in danger. What would it be to slip one step, to slip out of time as we know it, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52 weeks a year, 365 days a year. I can do this all day. You slip out of time and you enter eternity and you're lost. Filled with regrets. You know, I know what it's like personally to... uh, Someone was telling me I should tell more stories about myself, but it's actually a shame. But I know what it's like in an unsaved day to spend time uh, behind a bar. Not a bar, bar, but behind bars. So I did something wrong legally. I was arrested when I wasn't saved. And I was thrown in, a, in, a, in four walls in cement. Um, there's no hope. You know what the amazing thing is? Is Even if you got locked up there, there's always a collect call. Every single time. And I can't tell you, there's three different times, I'll tell you the number, three, uh, that my mother would come and she'd bail me out. There was a collect call. I could make one phone call, make that phone call, and collect, and they would show up and they'd come to me out. Listen, you drop into eternity, there's no collect call. There's never a time you come back. The Bible says there's a great gulf fixed so that they that are there in hell can never cross to they that are in heaven. Amazing that you drop into eternity having heard the gospel your whole life. But this man here, he's in this situation. You're in a situation today. 
I ask you, where are you going? Heaven above or hell beneath? You know, I was on a plane ride down into Chicago a few years ago. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but uh, as we're flying into Midway, it's one of the country's most dangerous uh, landing strips. I believe Newark is one too, but as we're coming into Midway, and you come right over Holmes there, you, you, you touch down, and the runway's not very long. And there was a group near me, and this guy was a little arrogant, and he's laughing, and he had been drinking on the plane, and the plane started to, you know what, you know what happens? Turbulence, and it drops, and... And uh, I saw him laughing, ha, ha, ha. And the girls were sort of, hey, whatever his name was, and they're saying, like, calm down, like, I'm actually scared. And then I, I watched, and I fastened my seatbelt, you know, my, and uh, that plane, I don't know how many feet it dropped, but, I mean, it, it dropped, dropped, and I saw him grab his chair, right? He's not laughing anymore. And then as we're flying, and I'm seeing the homes come closer to us, and I'm thinking, man, is this guy going to land the plane? Because we got to get down. This, I can't take it. I'm getting sick. And this man starts to throw up, right? Just... Projectile right over the thing. Now his sister, now the girls he's with, they're laughing at him and they're kind of like, and the pilot actually, and I've never been on a plane where it happened, he said, made an announcement, he said, we need to turn around, there's too much turbulence. And he got up and he turned and went the other way. You know what, friend, listen, as we go through life, there's turbulence in your life. There's sin in your life. The way that you seem and you think is right, the Bible says, is the way of death. There's a way that seems right unto a man. The ends there are are the ways of death. And God is trying to get your attention. And He wants you to have a repentant heart. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And that means to have a change of mind, a change of attitude, a change of heart. One minute we're headed this way and we're headed to outer destruction, outer darkness. And we have a change of mind. We say, you know what? God is right. I need to understand what God says. And what does God say in His Word? God says, I'm a sinner. God says, I'm undone. God says, I've fallen short of the glory of God. God says, the wages of my sin is death. God says, but the gift of His Son is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's a repentant heart. That turns and trust Christ. And they're bound for heaven. Every single person that has trusted Christ is going to be in heaven one day. That's tremendous. Words can't describe things like that. But let's just jump. This man has this particular situation. Now this man, not only that, he's been spoken to. Notice he's in his career. He's enjoying life, as it were. He probably goes home and he's got the six-figure salary. And he rides home on the fancy chariot of the day. And he sees his wife and kids, because clearly he has a family here. And he's got everything, all his ducks in order. And he's got this, you know, this, this career that he holds on to. The foundations of his life. What are you holding on to? Because I can tell you what I held on to in my unsaved days. It was my friendships. It was college. It was hoping to make more bucks. I was hoping for more toys. And I was holding on to it. And God came in and he shook it. And it was over. And I trusted Christ. But this man, that's what he's doing. And, and, he's, and he's holding on. And verse 26, I just read scripture here. Acts chapter 16 and verse 26. And it says this. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, so much shaken. You say, oh Matt, I've been in an earthquake. No, no. This shaking released, re- released men. It lo- and I've, I've been in shackles. I, you can't get out, see? It loosened them. And now they're free. And it says the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosened. What will it take? I ask the question carefully for God to speak to you. I could take you to a younger brother of mine. And he's, a, I'll use the term again, he's addicted to XYZ. It's been over 18 years of his life. And he has watched women die on his couch. On his couch. You say, well, wouldn't he wake up 
wouldn't he see that and say, boy, God's trying to speak. I should wake up. And he didn't. He watched his fiance die in a bathroom from addiction XYZ at the age of 19, and he still hasn't woken up. He watched a little girl get born. That's my niece. And he can't see her because he's a criminal, and he still hasn't woken up. God is trying to shake Mark's doors to rock his foundation. And God has tried every single angle, and that dear man is perishing. That's what sin does. And God today is trying to get your attention. And that's what God does here. He rocks this man's foundation. And maybe I'm speaking to someone here today, and you say, you know what, Matt? I can go back in time, and I lost a loved one, and that changed my life from that point on. God was trying to get your attention. And brethren and sisters, I speak even to the believer today. If there's someone that I'm speaking to, and you perhaps lost someone, God is trying to get your attention. He wants to change your life, mold your life, direct your life, orchestrate your life. And if you're unsaved here today, God would love to transform your life. And He does that through the blood of the cross. You can come to trust Him for your soul's salvation. Notice though, this man has sinned. You say, well, uh, I don't see that big of a problem. No, no, The problem with this man is that he's a sinner and he needs salvation. That's why he asks the question. He says, uh, Paul Silas, uh, he didn't say... How can I get out of here? How can I live a good life? You know, he says, you know, hey, what must I do to be saved? That's it, he says. It's all over. My foundation's shaken. I want to know how. He has a problem, he's realized. He's a sinner. That's the problem. You say, well, Matt, sin is not too bad. Let me tell you this. In Northern Ireland, there was a disease called uh, foot and mouth disease. Okay? And it affected cows. The only thing that was shown on a cow was a little blister. That's it. Little I get blisters if I spend time in the sun. I don't put my little and a little blister. It hurts, but these cows had this little blister, and you wouldn't really know unless you got really close and examined. Do you know how serious that problem was? That towns, entire towns, if one cow had it, entire towns and neighborhoods evacuated. Homes were evacuated. Stores were evacuated because of one little blister. Why? It's a problem. It's a problem. It's infectious. It's chronic. That's what sin does. It, 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 it takes lives. And friends, today, your sin is a problem. The sin of anger. The sin of lying. The sin of slothfulness. You say, well, I don't do that. The sin of laziness. Let's continue. The sin of bad thoughts. The sin of gluttony. We never talk about that one. The sin of idolatry. We don't talk about that one either. The sin of adultery, fornication, jealousy, perversion. It is sin. And the Bible says crystal clear that your sin, my sin, it will find you out. I could take you to Pacific Garden Mission, and I'm saying this, and uh, my my, bo- my boss's son's in the crowd. But uh, I have a uh, uh, a car that that can really burn out; it can really peel out, right? And I could take you to Pacific Garden Mission, and I take you with a brother who's in the assembly in New Lenox, Paul Beatty, and you ask Paul Beatty what happened on a Saturday night, and Paul would start laughing, and he'd tell you what happened, but. Paul was walking into his car. He had just donated his truck to the mission. And I was walking and I was getting into my car. And Paul said these words to me. He said, hey, does that thing burn out? And here I am. And I'm 37. And I'm immature. And I thought, you know what? Uh, all I'll do, all I'll do. Now, UPS is there. There's Pacific Garden Mission. There's UPS. There's FedEx. There's big corporations. Thousands of cars. I thought, all I'll do is I'll just take my car one time. And I'll just stamp it, stomp it. That's it. I'm not going to hold it. I'm just going to hit it once, right? And there's 520 horse. So when you hit it, that thing, it doesn't even launch. It sits there. It's just, and it's smoke. And I hit it one time. 
That's all you heard. And then you heard this. All the alarms that were all near UPS and Pacific Garden Mission and people that were going to work a 12-hour shift, all their car alarms went off. And all you heard all over the city, like, boo, boo, and things just kept going on and off because of the noise of my car and my sin. You might laugh. My sin found me out. The thing that I thought I'd never get found out, I thought, you know what? I'll do a little burnout, nothing crazy, nothing serious. I'm not going to hurt anyone. I'm just going to do a little one. That's illegal. You can't do that. It's, a, it's obstruction of noise and blah, blah, But I didn't pop. And then, boom, all the alarms went off. My sin found me out. And there they are. All the cars screaming my name, Matt, Matt, Matt. Their alarms are going off. My sin found me out. Your sin has found you out. God looks down and he says, you're sinful. You're filthy. You're undone. Our sin found him out. And that's the problem with this particular man. But let's jump right into the solution that he has. He says, what must I do to be saved? The question's wrong, actually. It's nothing you can do. Nothing. It's what Christ has done. And that's why Paul and Silas, they're steering him here. They're almost being gentle and careful in their response. And they're saying, they don't want to tell him he's wrong. They just say, hey, you know what? Believe on Christ. That's that's what you need. You need Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You know, there's a... I'm going to run out of time. That's what God wants you to do today. Repent ye and believe the gospel. It's a pointing to Christ. This man was so radically changed. You said, did he do anything else? No, he trusted Jesus Christ. That's what he did. He was so radically changed that when he went home, his entire house got saved. Not from his salvation, but from his testimony. They were changed. They watched a different person. He acted different. He talked different. He, he, he. You know, the night, the night that I got, I got saved. Did you know that the next morning, you might think I'm crazy, but the next morning, the grass was different. You know that? It was. Not only that, five sorority sisters showed up to the house, and without me saying a word, I didn't say a word to Lucy. I was living with five girls in a big house at, at Florida State. And without them saying any different, uh, the girl that I was there, she, she said this, what's different? It was three o'clock in the morning. I said, I'm saved on my way to heaven. And she said, are you crazy? Like, like what just happened? Like, like, what are those words? I've never heard you say those words. All that came out of my mouth was absolute filth. But what happened? I came to trust Christ. And my life was different. I was born not from sin, born from the bottom, born from above. That was, that's what it means to be converted. To have a new life. Not a new religion, but a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If I told you this name today, Johannes Washington, I'll close with this. You would say, Matt, I don't know this man, and you don't. He's, a, he's a, the cousin of a man that I work with down at Pacific Garden Mission. The man that I worked with down at Pacific Garden Mission, he was third in the gangs in Chicago. Third in the gangs, the mafia life. So much so that when someone comes into Pacific Garden Mission uh, and he's a particular name or a leader of a Hispanic gang or a black it doesn't matter, um, he has to leave. Casey's his name. He has to actually leave the mission and wait till they go through their time at the mission and come back to work because they can't be seen together. Casey told me one time, not only uh, is it a crazy gang, the leader of his gang, he was third in the gang, the leader of his gang, when his son died from the shootings in Chicago, they took his son outside into a field and they buried him with a gold-plated Cadillac. Imagine that. And they filled the Cadillac. You say, well, where's this now? Who knows? Someone probably got this, but they filled it with $100 bills because they thought he could use it in the afterlife. Friend, you'll never use anything in the afterlife. You'll live for eternity. But this man, Casey, uh, has a tremendous testimony. Uh, He's saved out of all that. He's left all that. He's living for God. And his little cousin, this man here, Johannes Washington, led an online uh, 
let's be careful. So an online ring of uh, addiction XYZ and um, just a horrible, unethical, illegal lifestyle. And he led this and he made millions doing it. But he got caught. His sin found him out. Not only did his sin find him out, uh, when he showed up to court, they sentenced him to life. Not because of really the business. He could have got off just a few years on that one. Uh, But he had had lives that were taken through this business. That man went to prison. He's there for life. 120 years. It's over. He has no life on the outside. It'll never happen again. And just a couple months after he went to prison, he met a preacher that came into the prison. And the preacher shared the verse that we read together in Mark chapter 1 that Christ says, Repent ye and believe the gospel. And he shared the gospel with Johannes. He's from Atlanta. You know what he wrote? He got access, and I don't know, I've never spent time in prison, but he had, he had access to, uh, you know, internet of course. He went and he changed his Facebook uh, status. I don't even have Facebook, but you know what I'm talking about with the status. Your status is I'm happy, or I'm, whatever that is. Right? Um, he said it to this. I am born again. That's what he wrote. He came to trust Christ. And then he wrote dot, dot, dot. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Imagine that. This man is 22 years old when he wrote that. He has no hope. He will never in his lifetime enjoy the privileges that every single person in this lifetime have just in this room have just enjoyed in the past 10 minutes. He won't enjoy that anymore. He'll never be able to sit in a gospel tent like this. He'll never be able to go outside and actually taste freedom. But the freedom that he has, friend, is invaluable. It's free from his sins, free from the penalty of sins. He came to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I echo the words that he said those days because if you just trusted it, you trust God at his word, you say this, repent ye, have a change of heart, have a change of mind, repent ye, and believe the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray.